today? But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. You may be seated. Thank you, Josh. Jared, Emmy, that was fun. Thank you. Uh, I would say uh, to parents, too, as well. Like, I grow, I've grown up in a generation where you read in the papers or in the reviews and the polls that kids aren't doing anything after they leave the fat family and pursue Christ. Um, that's not the case with you, nor in my own experience. For families who equip their children, who are faithful, um, for you who are in high school right now, like, when you transition here, some of you are, like, right there flipping to college. And I remember that season, like, what will I do with my parents' faith? Or is this my faith? And you're going to realize real quick that you drive yourself to church, no longer to your parents. And I would encourage you, stay the course. Um, you uh, will find that those within the church who are much older than you are edified by your service and your love for Christ. Um, it makes us feel young again. And I speak as if I'm old, but I'm not. Um, um, I'm just thankful, even in my seeing my own children as they're coming to make their faith their own, how, how wonderful it is to see them claim it as their own and walk in it. Um, man, we are in a th- the thick of it, of a passage which we're all familiar with. Last week we talked about how Paul has moved his audience, the reader, to recognize in the midst of the diversity of their people, the church in Rome, the variety of backgrounds that people have as they come together and they take form in this new identity in Christ, uh, some being coming from a Jewish background and some coming from a Gentile background, with all of that, with its diversity, coming and becoming a whole new people, 
how in that event we find a variety and a diverse idea of opinions. Um, And if you know how opinions work, you recognize that opinions are so linked to the emotion that when you come to facing contrasting opinions, how hard it is at sometimes to enjoy life with one another. And Paul, he's going to pick a, a couple of these issues. And he sets before the reader the anticipation and the expectation of how Christians ought to live in light of these, yeah, at times, contrasting opinions. Remember me, it was Romans 14.1 in which he said, accept. Now accept the one who is weak in faith. Welcome, bring into your midst. The church can bear, ought to bear, differing opinions. He writes, Now accept the one who is in faith, weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Um, I don't like changing my mind. Uh, this, I laugh at this, it's red. Um, there's a history behind even this. When we started uh, beginning in New Life, or not New Life, I was working in New Life, and we, Adam and I were beginning to consider um, church planning, we had to develop what we call in church planning a prospectus. Prospectus is a little bit bigger than this. It's um, about an eight and a half by 11 document, a brochure that you would give to people who want to, uh, you want to invite to, pray for you, and hopefully financially support you in the efforts of church planning. And so the prospectus is a really big deal because this is after a conversation with somebody, this is what you leave them with, and they will see. Well, I wanted it to be gray, and Adam wanted it to be red. Who won? Um, (laughs) I think I scared him. Uh, because for some reason, ah, <laughs> it's gray on the inside. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> it was probably one of the first experiences that Adam and I realized is that when we were sitting down talking about what this might become, we didn't always see eye to eye. And I imagine after all that conversation, he came back to me the next time we sat down to continue talking about the perspectives, and I kind of scared him. Uh, only with the regard that I didn't want to change my mind. In my opinion, I was right. His opinion, he was right. Uh, And this is just a small example of how sometimes the opinions can be so linked to the emotion that when you express what you think is right, you might harm or hurt your friend. In fact, on more serious issues, I've even experienced this with my students. I had a student um, who actually really enjoyed my classes. They went through my first semester and went through the second semester only to realize that they would say they were really growing in their faith. And then it came to a harsh moment that when she realized that my family puts up Christmas trees in our house. And it shook her to the extent that now can I even trust this man? Because it was in their family, their opinion, that there was paganism that was linked in Christianity or to Christmas. 
that it so shook her that it even caused her to question even to hear what I might be teaching in the classroom. Opinions are loaded because they're so woven in and linked to the emotion. And we can do and express our opinions unaware and not even know at times if we're harming another individual or assuming that they would just agree with us by the way that we talk about these situations. We were over, able to overcome those issues, Adam and my student. Um, but the reality is, is that historically the church has had to deal with this because we can bear one another's opinions even when they contrast one another. We ought to. That should be the, the makeup of the body of Christ. It should be distinctly unique that we, than, than what we find in the world. The challenges as we looked last week, as I made it just a quick review, is that we understand the guidelines of this chapter. One, we remember and we know that Paul's not talking about we have a diversity of opinion when it comes to sin. And the church ought to know clearly and distinctly what sin is. And we do, as the people of God, hold each other accountable. This is why I stressed this last week in Romans chapter 13, 14, when Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Like sin is not something that we put up with as a people that we want to confront. And this is actually, we perceive this as loving when we do so. Two, we recognize, as I tried to stress last week, as we understand the framework and the parameters of this teaching that Paul puts before us, is that we also guard not only just the, the, the standard of moral living, but we also guard our, our convictions, our doctrines as a people of what we believe. Paul puts this well when he writes in 2 Thessalonians 3.6. There's this attitude in Romans. He's going to say, also say this as well. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, like we have expectations for one another. You don't just get a lawlessness amidst the people of God. But then he also adds, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. So we are a people who has a moral standard of living that we recognize in Christ, but then also we recognize that in light of that moral standard, we have a conviction, a doctrinal understanding of how we walk this life together. But when it comes to opinion... As we looked last week, he says, welcome, accept as part of your fellowship. Recognizing as everyone is pursuing Christ, some are strong in their faith, some are weak in their faith. And he writes primarily to those who are established in their faith as they looked and considered the, those who are weaker in their faith. He writes this expectation. Nine, or four, excuse me, Romans 14, 1. Read it once more with me again so that we understand the context of where Paul is going. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Chapters 14 and 15 carry this laboring hope that Christians who unite in fellowship with one another recognize that this is going to happen. This next section is crucial. It's heavy in regards to its concern. That if the people, what will happen if the people of God do not follow this expectation? Because he is concerned that unwarranted judgment upon another brother that falls outside of the range at which God has intended is unfruitful, or let me say it this way, it bears a fruit which is disastrous for a church. 
So all I'd like to do today is show those four expectations and wash them in our minds and understand what Paul is concerned about. That, yeah, we have opinions. Last two years, I found it tempting. Like, man, this is a really helpful passage to consider even in the last several years. How did we do? Because opinions are everywhere. And how will we handle those as a people of God is really helpful to reevaluate. And he stresses these things. If a church participates in, like the world would do, unwarranted judgment, it produces a fruit that, which is disastrous for ourselves and for our relationships that we have. And I fear, not that I expect to see it in our own midst, but I fear that it would ever take hold in the DNA of our people. And so with that, let's look at these four things that Paul is concerned about. One, if as a people we pick up the fruit of unwarranted judgment, it will produce idolatry. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. What was read this morning. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? It's an idea of like, why do you despise? Why do you shame? It's, a, yeah, it's, it's not the idea of I'll put up with a different opinion. No, it's I oppose this position and I find opportunity to shame this opinion. So why, you again, why do you regard your brother with content? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We know, as it is written, verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. If the people of God participate in unwarranted judgment, Paul's first concern is is that you will be participating in idolatry. You might ask, how? Well, the Christians understand this. Where does judgment lie? Another way to put it is, who do you think you are? Because judgment sits where God sits. And to take the seat where God sits is to take a seat and dismiss him, which is to practice in the, the sin of idolatry. It's to say, I know better than you, God, on this issue of, of opinion. And let's just be clear so we all understand, God has not placed any of us in the seat as judge over opinions. Praise God. Rather, he has given in his church the ability to have a variety of different opinions. But, if it's an individual or there's a group within the midst of a body of people in a church that assumes that now they have the right to judge their brother, that is tempting with the sin of idolatry and is we should be very concerned, blasphemous, right? So it matters how we talk to each other in light of our opinions as we determine who's right and who's wrong. God would say, Paul would say, that's not your seat. That's God's seat. Man, that doesn't help. Like, uh, what I got to find so convicting about this, and Paul's already said this, we should already be familiar with this. In the very beginning of Romans, he does say, he talks to the Jewish audience. He talks to the Gentile audience. And as he comes to his conclusion, mid-chapter 2, he writes in Romans 2.16. He says this, 
on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to escape his judgment. And you, brothers and sisters, in light of that doctrine, that theology, we ought to be a people who don't take the seat of God. So if we don't uphold this thing, as we recognize there'll be diverse opinions, we've got to be careful that we don't practice or participate in the sin of idolatry. That's point one. Right? Because that seats, that seats for God. And in light of that, it's helpful to remember that even if you, I say you, but I as well, who has an opinion, we recognize that our opinions, we should hold them in such a way that we're fearful of this day. Verse 12. So then, each one of us, except for the pastors, no, no, every single one of us, right? That's the point. Wives, you just don't, except for us, or, or husbands, except for us. No, every single one of us, children, will give an account of himself to God. And so in light of that fear, we measure, we evaluate our opinions as hoping and fearing fearfully and reverently anticipating the day when we have to explain ourselves. And so, one, if we participate in this fruit of unwarranted judgment, it will lead to idolatry if we take the seed of God in it. Um, two, well, let, let me take a, make, a, make a crucial note here, which I think is helpful in what Paul does here throughout this whole section. One, I want you to notice what he says in verse 13. Now, remember, remember who Paul is. Paul's an apostle. Who's appointed an apostle? Well, Jesus. So, Jesus even teaches the apostles in Matthew chapter 10 that, like, for the church to not receive the apostles' teaching, it's to reject him who sent the apostles. So we remember that as Paul is writing these things, he's writing with apostolic authority. And look what he does. Verse 13, when it comes to opinions, therefore let us not judge one another anymore. But rather, let us determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Look at verse 14. This is cool. He says, he says, I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now if, stop right there. If you were on the opinion, as Paul is addressing this issue of food in the church, remember the strong in faith, God will let me eat anything because God made everything good and so that must be good for us to eat. And they could eat it with no conviction. Conviction. However, there was another group that said, no, 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 no. You can't eat everything you want because, because God is concerned about how we are clean and present ourselves to him and they refuse to eat certain foods. Paul says, I am convinced. Oh man, if that was read into the church, you could remember or hear half of the church go, yes, he sides with me. Right? But that's not what Paul finishes with. He acknowledges his, uh, his conviction that he's right. I am convinced. But look at the second half. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. What's he doing? He's willing, as the apostle, to acknowledge 
the, the, the other position's opinion as legitimate. He, he, while knowing he is convicted in his own heart, he is willing to be in a position where he understands the other. So often, even with our opinions, it can only be one color. And if there is any other oppose, they're wrong. Paul doesn't do that with the position of opinions. He's willing to acknowledge that I'm convinced in my own mind that this and before the Lord, he puts the Lord Jesus in front of his opinion, that he is right. But at the same time, he's willing to acknowledge the other perspective as genuine. He does this twice. In fact, look at verse 20. Come back to this here a little bit later. He said, but do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean. He's convinced of this. This is his opinion. But they, that, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So he's willing to acknowledge all's clean. But for some people, it's evil. And these positions are at odds with one another. Notice what he does next in verse 21. He says it's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So on one hand, he's willing to acknowledge what he's convinced of, and yet he's willing to go to the other side of the opinion and say their opinion is valid. No, it's good. That attitude of humility ought to be the humility which shapes the people of God in the midst of how we confront or deal with our variety of opinions. So often, oh man, you can see it in the culture today, only one side is right, and you've seen the fruit of that perspective. It's divisive, and it's unwilling to consider the other. And so often, we recognize we're really good with this with our opinions. The moment we hint that your opinion is contrary to ours, you know what we do? Because we have the internet, this is how we think these days. We have the list of brochure that we can pull out for them to say, no, it's red. And we're unwilling to consider if their point is actually rooted in a good thing. Whereas Paul has set the standard for what an opinion which makes it valid is if, and I don't have this for you on the slide, it's found in verse 6, opinion is valid if it is done for the glory of the Lord. And it doesn't cause a brother to stumble. Now, I could continue and preach throughout the rest of this section, but if reliance, if we could get that one thing nailed down, we're fine. If we as a people of God can recognize that other opinions are valid and have a measure of truth and it's good, we're able to do with a lot of things. We're able to bear one another as we're just trying to figure out how to go through this life. Man, like we all have different opinions. When, on, yeah, I even remember having opinions when I didn't have kids, how parents should have, a, uh, should, how, how they should discipline their children. And I didn't even have kids. But I knew how to be a kid. And I needed that paddle. I did. But I have learned 
many children later, that's not always the best method. And the way that we ship our opinions and we become dogmatic about that, then we become uh, divisive and we begin to sit in the seat of idolatry. That's my little tangent. My plea with you is, is that if Paul is willing to say in his mind, which he's convinced of, that he's right, if he's willing to acknowledge the other side, I say, man, that is a good model to follow. Uh, and I will be the first to admit, I am not always that way. The benefit of doing that as a people gives us the benefit that we could change our minds. I, I remember speaking a little on a tangent, and I'm, I don't have a lot of time today. Look at that. I remember sitting on a plane ride when I was, oh, I was at my Ironman. That didn't happen because of the weather. Um, but I sat on this plane, and I was sp- speaking with a local per- individual here, and she was beside herself at the fact that I stress this very point, that Christians should be a people who can change their minds. Because from her perception is, is you have to be right. Not just in how you perceive moral standards or doctrines, but when it comes to opinions, you have to always be right. That is legalism. That is the law. And that is not helpful for the church to follow. So one, let us follow that example in Paul. One, if you take the seat of the Johns, you sit in God's seat. That's idolatry. Two, we should be a people who, who are willing to affirm the other's position as valid, as good. Two, if we don't do this, the fruit of unwarranted judgment, it will produce what we call, as Paul puts before us, emotional harm. Look at this. Look at verse 15. And he's talking, he's picking the issue of food, right? Because they stand opposed to one another. One wants to eat meat, the other one doesn't. For if because of food your brother is hurt, I mean, you have physically, no, no, not physically, you've emotionally hurt them because opinions are linked to the emotion. You are no longer walking according to love. So do not destroy with your food him whom Christ died. Another way that Paul says this is in verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are deed or clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. If one holds so tightly to their opinion, it will ultimately result in harm emotionally. Because we know emotions are linked, or opinions are linked to the, the heart of emotions. Very rarely do we do what we do without reason. And without reason, we, don't, um, we recognize that we respond emotionally to the situation in front of us. And this food issue was just like that. They literally looked at one another as if they were displeasing God, and it was, it was emotionally eating them up because they were unwilling to give approval to each side. Um, look at this word here in verse 15. Do not destroy. It carries this idea of a demolition. 
The lions, we're really good at this. Not, not in the sense of doing it in our opinions, but we are really good at tearing walls down, right? We've done this over the last six years. Of bust, we can bust a wall down pretty darn quick. The point is, is that when you take the seat of God, judging your brother, you literally demolish them, and it hurts. I have lived in this city for, what, eight years now? And when we first moved here, we found with those who had stepped away from the people of God, fellowship and church worship, it was duly result because of how they had been treated by another people of God in a church. It's very common for people to hold their opinions so, so tightly and then weaponize them against one another. And I've done it. You've done it. Because... You're right. We've got to be careful of how we come to our opinions and recognize, yeah, we, we, we take care of sin. We don't want that to be in the midst of our fellowship and we gotta, because God's concerned about that and God uses his people to confront one another. And doctrine's important. But we ought to be as a people recognize this sits, this issue sits in the opinion chamber. And I have not been appointed by God nor will I, as judge of that opinion pool. You want to save pastors a lot of time, stay away from telling us someone else's opinion. Save yourself time. I think, I think that model of Paul just willing to acknowledge the, 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 the valid position of the other is so helpful for a church. And I desperately think that the world needs to see it followed after because it can't uphold this type of standard. What's refreshing I love about the Scriptures and why I love why we gather around it regularly is it doesn't deal with the fluffy stuff. Like Paul's picking real issues here and he's confronting it and he's saying, stop it, Christian." You ought to be more than just one opinion. Because I know it would probably have been so tempting to be a people of God that would be like, well, Gentiles are just going to create their own church and Jews will just create their own church and create division. Paul doesn't go there. We do. What style of worship do you have? What kind of music do you have? Like, we have all these opinions. And we want to create division through them. We're, we, we are prone to do that. And so one, unwarranted ju- judgment bears the fruit of this uh, uh, opportunity of idolatry. Two, it bears this opportunity to create uh, emotional harm. Three, it can create spiritual ruin. And I already hinted at this already, like, People who have been hurt by the people of God tend to sometimes just say, give up. I want to leave church altogether. Um, if you're there, don't do it. Don't. Because Paul is worried about spiritual ruin here. There's a process by which we ought to be a people of God who reconcile with one another. That's Matthew chapter 18. We're not a people of God who, who run away. We deal with our issues even in the midst of how we walk through opinions together. But what he says, look at verse 13. There's, there's two concerns here that I have, two terms. 
Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way, right? Um, the idea is, is, who are you if someone is determined in their opinion, if their opinion helps them f- better follow Christ, give him glory, to then now sit in the seat and create that process to make it difficult? Who are you? You're not, a, you're not acting as one who edifies and exhorts and encourages, but rather hinders. And the reason why those two terms concern me, if you're familiar with the teachings of Christ, he said this in light to those who pursue him. Look at his teaching in Matthew chapter 18. For those of you, those of us, even myself, who like to make it hard for other people, through your actions, through your opinions, your weaponizing of opinions, we want to make up obstacles and stumbling blocks. This is what Jesus thinks of us. Who do this? Matthew chapter 18, 5 through 7. Whoever receives one such child, and he's talking to one who has become a follower of Christ through conversion, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. The people have gone. This is why we gather. This is why we enjoy a small group. This is why we serve one another. This is why we spend time just hanging out. Because fellowship is the reception of Christ and the work that he's done in all of our lives. So, excuse me. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Verse 6. But whoever, here's the concern, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy milestone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Who's he talking to? I think sometimes as we read through, I, I found myself challenged by Romans 14 and 15 because I always want to talk about the opinions of the church versus the opinions of the world. That's not what Paul's doing. He's talking about y'all's opinions. And Jesus talks about this, that don't dare within the midst of the people of God become a problem for one another as you pursue Christ. This is where he continues in verse 7. He's going to acknowledge this. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. We can expect this. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. But woe to that man. Transition. Anyone in the world within the body of Christ. Woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. So Romans chapter 14, verse 13, is linked to this idea. Just like Paul, Jesus, there's this concern that the people of God walk in a way that they might actually express their opinions in such a way which would cause an obstacle or a stumbling block for their brother. There's this other-mindedness within the people of God which should be so promoted It's the denial of self. The challenge is, brothers and sisters, one of the reasons why we don't know each other's opinions is we don't know one another's opinions because we have chosen to live distant from one another. 
I think the greatest things that I have enjoyed even dialoguing with you is being able to talk about your beliefs and, yes, your opinions. Because through it, it challenges my own. It sharpens me to see another's perspective. And so when we do that, it produces a, a culture, a peace, which is willing to acknowledge one another's opinions. And so this, this fear of spiritual ruin that I mentioned, obstacle or stumbling block, it is a hurt that's so severe it causes someone to leave. And Paul's, he's using language. Look at, um, I think it's verse 20. He uses this language. Um, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Tear down is, is this idea with the linked with the word of destroy. He's, he's carrying this idea that they, they're not even one of you anymore. That's all, that does... For Paul's theology, who has just talked about the sovereignty of God, and God saves, no one escapes, Paul puts it here that don't, don't underestimate how harmful you can become when you weaponize your opinions against a brother. Okay? Finally. It can create the opportunity, unwarranted judgment, to create opportunity for blaspheming. Look at verse 15 with me. For if because of food, I imagine it was hard for Paul to write this. I'm writing this stuff over food. You ever heard of the church that church, that church split over carpet? No. Paul would have been just like, can you guys just get along? For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken as evil. What's at stake? Paul says, church, if you can't bear one another's opinions, you create the opportunity for the world outside you to blaspheme him whom has saved you. Remember, Jesus taught this, John teaches this, the world will know you by your love for one another. And the one place that you get to express that love is bearing with one another's opinions. If you can't, it creates the opportunity for the world outside to blaspheme, to say to the church what you're doing, we we recognize as not godly and further reject the God of this world. The Jews did this. Remember Romans chapter 2. Paul's problem with the Jews is that through their same unfaithfulness create opportunity for the Gentiles to blaspheme. Romans chapter 2 verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For your unwillingness or being unable to follow these moral standards of God. And when it comes to opinions, when the people of God do not welcome um, 
admit or accept the wide range of diversity of opinions, it creates for the world opportunity to blaspheme. So, that's just four uh, issues which I think Paul wants us to consider. Unwarranted judgment sits the, those of us in the seat of, the, of the, the judge, which is idolatry. Unwarranted judgment causes emotional harm. It can create spiritual ruin and opportunity for blaspheming. So that we are recognizing our convictional response this. you got to get it right. we got to recognize that reality within the people of God. And how do you respond to this convictionally? Well, one, like, what's helpful, I think, with Romans chapter 14 is you know Paul's opinion. He know, you know where he stands, and he's convinced with it, so the readers would be like, well, I'm with Paul. Paul's not alive today anymore. And I think some of that's just helpful to remember in the vast majority of opinions that we face. I'd love to have an apostle come and tell us what he thinks on this issue. But isn't that wrong already? Because while Paul is willing to acknowledge his conviction, he is willing to acknowledge the others as liable. And I think that's how we think sometimes. As we hold our opinions as, it's this. And it can't be. That is so funny. It's so funny. It can't be that. And we, if we're not careful, who link our emotions to our opinions, can either harm one another, sin, create an opportunity for blasphemy in the world. I think it's serious. But if we hold fast, good can take place when the world watches a group of people bear one another's opinions and have the freedom as a people to collectively think. Look at verses 16 through 19 as we close. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about those things, but about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what unites us and binds us. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Be faithful. And regarding and recognizing and welcome, when we welcome in the variety of opinions in life, we model Christ. We serve Christ as we bear one another's opinions. So then we pursue the thing which makes for peace in the building up of one another. Taking the seat of the judge over opinions actually leads to idolatry and spiritual corrosion and ruin. But those who of us, as the people of God, as we sit and welcome it, we actually participate in the role of what we call edification. So then when we pursue the things that makes for peace, the building up of one another, that becomes our sanctification and our edification of building up one another in Christ. So we ought to get this right, and I think there's much areas to grow in this. To be slow to think, be willing to affirm the legitimacy of someone else's opinion, I think we have much to grow in this area. Because I think as a people, as I know you, you're good at this. You have the potential because of the Holy Spirit in you to love someone who is unlike your opinion. 
continue in that as you pursue Christ for the building up of each other. Verse 22 and 23. I said I was going to close, but I want to get all the verses there. It's my legalism. The faith, the faith which you have, (laughs) it's almost as Paul says, keep it to yourself. (laughs) The faith which you have in regards to your opinions, have as your own conviction before God. It's linked to the emotions. We all recognize it's really important to us. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts, be faithful to your opinion, if condemned if he eats, because if his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin, which links us back to the very beginning. God has gifted us in the Spirit. He convicts us of things. And the righteous man, as he's convicted, walks by faith. And this is the people of God we ought to remind ourselves regularly with. Would you pray? Lord, we all have sincere convictions. And sometimes we take those opinions at times and we make them into decrees for one another. And Lord, the warnings that are here before us, I know that I myself and I know the people here would not want to live in such a way with their opinions that would cause another one emotional harm. In no way would we want to give to the world around us the opportunity to blaspheme. Lord, we would like to be a people who welcome, admit the variety of opinions in this life that we might have as we pursue Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be marked whether it be a husband in his own household and recognizing the diversity that which occur in his own household or in this church, that we'd be ones who welcome one another and encourage one another as we pursue Christ together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. so merciful.